We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 410 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, September 29th, 2022, and rest in peace, artist Leon Ivy Jr., a.k.a. Coolio, one of the great rappers of the 1990s. Uh, he was just 59. No cause of death has been confirmed. The suspicion is that he died of a heart attack, but very sad, man. Coolio had a lot of good songs. Uh, Fantastic Voyage, to me, was his best song, but One, Two, Three, Four was a good song. Gangsta's Paradise was a good song, and he had a great stage name, Coolio. You know, that is an awesome stage name for a rapper back in the day. R.I.P. to Coolio. A salute to the skies for Coolio on this installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show that is with you every weekday with each episode out oh so early in the morning. We are there for you for the start of your day every weekday. No excuses. Just like there will be no excuses for the Commanders this Sunday afternoon at the Dallas Cowboys, right? (laughs) We're not going to have any excuses, are we? The Commanders are going to win this game, aren't they? Uh, If only it were that easy, right? Uh, We on Wednesday had the first practice of the week for the Commanders in preparation for this game. Next segment, I'm going to talk Commanders offense. Uh, The offensive line, which already was a concern, was the only offensive position group on the team with players on Wednesday's injury report. Uh, I'll get into that as well as the oh-so-pressing issue of how the Commanders are going to do against the Cowboys' pass rush. Uh, As you may have heard, the Commanders have given up some sacks over the team's last two games, 14 to be precise, and the Cowboys, they have the number one pass rush in the NFL. Are we set for a third consecutive sack fest, a third consecutive sackapalooza of the Commanders this Sunday afternoon. I have a lot for you from head coach Ron Rivera from his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on the Cowboys pass rush, including linebacker Micah Parsons. Uh, Also some good and interesting stuff from Ron on receiver Terry McLaurin, running back Antonio Gibson, 
and the reality of play-action passing. And I have to say, I do have something in response to what Ron had to say about play-action passing. All of that next segment. And then after that, I'll talk Commander's defense, including Ron on Wednesday afternoon, perhaps revealing a shift in philosophy on this season for the team as a whole. Uh, we got to talk about that. You'll also hear Ron talk about edge defender Montez Sweat, who uh, so far is having a second consecutive disappointing season. Also on the show, I will talk Nationals. Uh, They on Wednesday night authored their second walk-off win of the 2022 regular season, a 3-2 walk-off win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. And thanks to two key pieces in the rebuild, shortstop C.J. Abrams, who went three for five with a walk-off RBI single and two other singles. He also had a uh, not-so-good moment that led to him being chewed out by Nats manager Davey Martinez and starting pitcher Josiah Gray. No, he didn't chew out C.J. Abrams. Gray was a key piece in this win on Wednesday night. One run in six innings. You know, it wasn't just the what for the Nats on Wednesday night. The who was a big deal as well. C.J. Abrams and Josiah Gray on display in this walk-off victory over the Braves. It was nice to see that. Uh, I'll also talk Orioles on the show. Uh, They, on Wednesday night, lost at the Boston Red Sox 3-1 as the O's got stymied by Red Sox starter Rich Hill. Yeah, that guy. He's still pitching in the majors. This is his age 42 season, and yet he was dominant. Boy, I tell you, the Orioles' offense is so hot and cold. The previous two games are combined at 23 runs. Wednesday night, a mere one run. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jeff on the Commander's W logo. Uh, writes Jeff, am I the only one who has noticed the issue with the Commander's logo, the W? All of the gear and merchandise are being sold with a burgundy W trimmed in gold. The logo in the middle of FedEx Field is burgundy trimmed in gold. However, the logo on the helmet is just gold. Yes, I realize the helmet is burgundy, but there is just something wrong with this. The Cowboys helmet has a blue star trimmed in white. Do the Cowboys sell merchandise with an all-white star? Is there another team in all of professional sports that has the logo on the team's uniforms not matching the logo sold on the team's merchandise? I guess this is just another detail completely botched by this team. I love the podcast. You cover everything every single day. Keep it going. Thank you for that, Jeff. Uh, Much appreciated. Uh, So first of all, excellent logo analysis by Jeff. Uh, Very astute. I have to tell you, personally, I am not that bothered by the W on the burgundy helmet not having a burgundy trim. Uh, I think that those helmets look good. The Cowboys helmet is interesting. The Cowboys helmet is a unique thing because you have the base color of the helmet as silver, the base color of the star as navy blue, and then actually two trims around the star, white and then navy blue outside of the white. Now, look, the commanders could have come up with something for the W to where it is exactly the same on the burgundy helmet as the W is on the middle of FedEx field and as the W is on all of the merch, but I don't think that the burgundy helmets with the W look bad. You know, that's just my opinion. All of this, of course, is totally subjective. By the way, did you see the helmets that the commanders were wearing at practice on Wednesday? The black helmets. Those will be the helmets uh, that will be worn 
at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon. Once you go black, you do not go back. So maybe we'll see those black helmets moving forward. Although I think that saying is about something other than helmets. Uh, the black helmets look good, even though, yes, the official colors of the team are burgundy and gold. So I know that that bothers some people of like, hey, our colors are burgundy and gold. Our colors do not involve black. Although to that, you can say, Remember Jim Zorn at his introductory press conference as Redskins head coach in February 2008. The Zorn star at his intro presser in February 2008 said that the colors of the skins were maroon, black, and yellow. <laughs> so there is that. You know, they all get involved and they all got their gear already. And so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. Yes, Coach Zorn, thank you. Maroon, black, and yellow. Man, that is an all-timer. A new NFL head coach at his introductory press conference just butchering the team colors. Uh, of course, Jim Zorn should have never been head coach to begin with, but uh, that is another story. Uh, email from Jim D. on the Commanders. Writes Jim D., do you know what one of the worst things about being a Washington Redskins slash football team slash Commanders fan is? We can never brag about our team. All the other teams in the division have, to some extent, had something outstanding to boast about with their teams assembled over the years. When have we been able to do the same and not regret it? Then the commanders sit there and wonder why fans don't come to games. We are in the speed lane on a road going nowhere with Ron Rivera and his stubborn staff. I hope things otherwise are well with you. Uh, thank you for the email, Jim D. I hope that things are well with you. Uh, there haven't been many things to truly brag about as a Washington fan for years. That is true. I mean, certain players have been worthy of bragging about to an extent, like Terry McLaurin has become one of the better receivers in the NFL. Jonathan Allen has become one of the better interior defensive linemen in the NFL. But yeah, like something outstanding to boast about. The last thing maybe was Washington's defense in the 2020 season. The defense for that 2020 regular season was very good, but the defense then got worked in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round of the playoffs. And the defense uh, hasn't been very good since then. And everyone now recognizes that Washington's 2020 defense benefited greatly from playing a number of bad quarterbacks. Uh, the Redskins' 2016 offense was worthy of bragging about. That offense was tremendous, but that offense also came up very small as the season went on, including in that horrendous loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on New Year's Day 2017 to cost the Skins a playoff spot. Yeah, man. I mean, here you have Philadelphia Eagles fans super excited about their team at 3-0. and You have Dallas Cowboys fans marveling at the team having gone 2-0 and since quarterback Dak Prescott suffered his fractured right thumb. And uh, you have our team that is 1-2 and and has gotten outscored over the last two first halves 46 nothing. You know, I just talked about Jim Zorn as another former Redskins head coach, Steve Spurrier, once said. Not very good. Exactly. Oh, ball coach. Thank you. Uh, well, if your lawn is, in the words of Steve Spurrier, not very good. Not very good. Yes, not very good. Uh, then you gotta get with Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $290. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price 
for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, so take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. And all of that sounds simple, I know, and all of that is simple, but all of that isn't nearly as common as it should be. Uh, Also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you're not satisfied with your lawn, if you're not satisfied with who is treating your lawn, get with Weedman and take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Uh, you could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right. The one and two commanders on Wednesday begin their practice week for their big game this Sunday afternoon at the two and one Dallas Cowboys at one. There is no bigger worry for this game if you are a commanders fan than how the team is going to do against the pass rush of the Cowboys. Uh, Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference and admitted that he can be better. He needs to be better, but his offensive line needs to be better. Uh, His play caller, offensive coordinator Scott Turner, needs to be better. The Commanders over their last two games, the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2 and the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 3, have allowed a total of 14 sacks and 28 quarterback hits. The Cowboys, through week three, number one in the NFL in sacks for the 2022 regular season with 13, number one in the NFL in sack percentage for the 2022 regular season at 11.5. Linebacker Micah Parsons has four sacks. Edge defender Demarcus Lawrence has three sacks. Edge defender Dorrance Armstrong Jr. has three sacks. How the commanders are going to do against the Cowboys pass rush is a massive concern if you're a commanders fan, especially considering that according to Pro Football Focus and True Media, seven of the Eagles' nine sacks against the commanders last Sunday afternoon came without blitzing. And so it wasn't exactly ideal that the only two players on the commander's 53-man roster who did not practice on Wednesday were two starting offensive linemen for the team right now. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. did not practice on Wednesday due to a shoulder issue, and center Wes Schweitzer did not practice on Wednesday due to a concussion. Yeah, it turns out that he suffered a concussion. Uh, Also, among those commanders players who were limited in practice on Wednesday were two other offensive linemen. Right tackle Samuel Cosme was a limited participant in practice due to a knee ailment, and backup offensive lineman Sadiq Charles was a limited participant in practice on Wednesday due to a shoulder issue. Uh, There were a total of 11 commanders players on the team's injury report for Wednesday. Only four of the players were offensive players, but all four of those players were offensive linemen. 
Now, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon did say that he isn't worried about Charles Leno Jr. Here was Ron on his level of concern with Leno. No concern. He 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 came in sore yesterday and you know, so we just figured today'd be a good day to give him a vet day. All right, so Charles Leno Jr. not practicing on Wednesday due to a shoulder isn't a big deal, according to Ron Rivera. But I would point out that Leno hasn't exactly been at his best lately and that he's dealing with a shoulder, uh, even if it is a minor ailment. Not good news. And then what about Wes Schweitzer and this concussion? Uh, Remember, the commanders already are without their top two centers from the team's 2021 season. Center Chase Roulier is on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since September 20th due to a reported right knee injury that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in week two. And center Tyler Larson remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He's been on that since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. And now Wes Schweitzer has a concussion. Now Schweitzer in the loss to the Eagles did not play well. Uh, He had a number of errant snaps. He per pro football focus allowed five pressures and allowed a team high tying three hurries, Uh, although perhaps the concussion helps to explain some of that. But could it be that the commanders are better off with this guy, Nick Martin? at center. Uh, The commanders on September 20th, as the corresponding roster move to placing Chase Roulier on the reserve injured list, signed unrestricted free agent center Nick Morton. Uh, He is the brother of longtime Cowboys right guard Zach Morton. Nick Morton was taken by the Houston Texans in the second round of the 2016 NFL Draft at Notre Dame. This season is his age 29 season. He was the Texans starting guard from 2017 through 2020. He, over those four regular seasons, missed just two games. He started and played in 62 of a possible 64 regular season games during that stretch. Uh, Martin spent the 2021 regular season with the Las Vegas Raiders, but did not register any starts. Uh, it would seem that there's at least a decent chance that uh, Nick Morton will be the commander starting center at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon. But what about that Cowboys pass rush? The Cowboys in their 23-16 win at the New York Giants this past Monday night totaled five sacks and per ESPN generated 24 pressures, most pressures generated by the Cowboys in a game since 2017. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what makes the Cowboys pass rush so challenging. Well, is is based on their alignments and stuff that we've seen. They try to create one-on-ones for you automatically, so that means you've got to be really good with your one-on-ones, and and that's what they do. That's what they do with all the movement, the different formations, different alignments, mugging up in the line. Um, they're trying to force one-on-ones. Yeah, and the results of those one-on-ones could be devastating. I mean, is there a better defensive player in football than Micah Parsons? He can play linebacker. He can play edge defender. He can excel in coverage. Pro football focus grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Micah Parsons' overall grade per PFF for the 2022 regular season so far is 91.3. I mean, that is ridiculous. He just recently set a new NFL record for most sacks over a player's first 18 career regular season games, 17 sacks. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what makes Micah Parsons so good as a pass rusher. Well, I think one of the big things is tremendous athleticism. I mean, he, you know, he's a special, he's he's a, he's a special dynamic athlete. Um, I think the ability they, that 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 they the way they use him 
and use his ability. They move him around. Again, it's it's if you can create one on ones and and you know, and not just one one on one, but you know, if you try to get all four guys, get them singled up, and you add a fifth guy, and as far as the rush is concerned, you know, it's 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 it makes it difficult. You know, and and again, you have to be really sound, really solid in your protections. Yes, you do. Micah Parsons can be a game wrecker, man. Uh, the Commanders cannot let him wreck this game this Sunday afternoon. What the Commanders also can't let happen this Sunday afternoon is them getting shut out in the first half. The Commanders in the first halves of the team's last two games have been outscored 46 nothing. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on if starting off well, if starting off fast, this Sunday afternoon is a point of emphasis this week and on what, if anything, he is doing this week to help the commanders get off to a fast start this Sunday afternoon. Well, it's a point of emphasis every week to score, start fast. You know, you want to do that. Then sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's, it's, it's what, what do you do afterwards? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you sit there and emphasize, 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 and you don't do it, then what do you do afterwards? So we practice that. We talk about that all the time, starting fast. And sometimes you will, and sometimes you won't. Yeah, and in each of the last two games, the commander's offense has started off the opposite of fast. Slow. Super slow. A part of a commander's fast start at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon could be receiver Terry McLaurin having a catch before, you know, midway through the third quarter. I don't know. <laughs> Just an idea. Uh, Terry, in the loss to the Eagles this past Sunday afternoon, six receptions for 102 yards uh, and a drop on nine targets in playing on 88% of the commander's offensive snaps. But this was about as meaningless of a 100-yard receiving game as you'll ever see a player have. Terry's first reception didn't come until more than eight minutes had elapsed in the third quarter, and with the commanders trailing 24 nothing, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on Terry McLaurin's performance in a loss to the Eagles. Well, his production was solid, but you know, you look at the game plan and you look at the plays that were called, you know, those, there were some that were intended for him. You know, it, again, it, it's certain things happen in a game that, 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 you know, no matter what happens, there's decisions that have to be made by the player. You know, that's out there by the quarterback. He's got to decide, go through his progression. You know, is he covered? Isn't he covered? You know, is there pressure on me all of a sudden? I got to go somewhere else quicker, you know? So that that's the thing that's, you know, I mean, I get it, but I can argue with you guys about saying, shoot, he's been, he's part of what we do. But certain things happen that don't allow you to get the ball to him. And so when that happens, you know, we've got to get the ball to somebody else, and you know, but we've got to be able to get the ball to them so they can make plays and force them to pay a little more attention over here, and then things will open up for Terry. Now, Terry McLaurin, in the loss to the Eagles, did have some nice catches in the second half. Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on down. Seventh snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a third quarter, first and 10, 45-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a bomb down the left sideline. 13th snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at the Eagles, 14. Carson, a late third quarter, 10-yard Shotgun completion to Terry. Commander's 12th offensive drive was a 12-play, 87-yard drive, resulted in the Commander's lone touchdown of the game. Running back Antonio Gibson's late fourth quarter second and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Second snap of the drive, Carson, a second and three, 18-yard shotgun completion to Terry. Ninth snap of the drive, Carson, a third and five, 15-yard shotgun completion to Terry. But of course, all of this happened with the Commander's trailing 
by multiple touchdowns. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on if there's something that's happening in the second halves of games that's opening things up for Terry McLaurin. Well, again, you go back and look, you know, and, and a good example of how things get opened up is, you know, we were able to get the ball early to Curtis in Jacksonville, and you saw things just kind of change. Then you come back and, and you get a couple plays early in, 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 the, in the second half against Detroit, and it opened up a big throw. So those things just, you know. Yes, we know. Uh, something else that can open up big throws is the running game. Uh, running back Brian Robinson Jr. does remain on the reserve non-football injury or illness list. He has been on that since September 1st off having been shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. Uh, so Wednesday, by the way, was the one-month anniversary of the shooting of Brian Robinson. But with Robinson out, Antonio Gibson, of course, has been the commander's number one running back. As you likely remember, Gibson lost that RB1 spot to Brian Robinson Jr. after just one preseason game. The preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field on August 13th. Gibson in that game had four carries for two yards and a lost fumble and had one reception for two yards on one target. And then Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference put Gibson on notice, but not for his fumbling, for his running style. Quote, Antonio's got to run hard when he starts to shuffle and go sideways. That's when he struggles, end quote. Also during the presser was run multiple times emphasizing the need for Gibson to, quote, stick his foot in the ground, end quote, including once while giving an answer in response to a question about Brian Robinson Jr. And so on Wednesday afternoon, Ron Rivera was asked if he is pleased with Antonio Gibson's running style so far in the 2022 regular season. Well, I think he's been doing a pretty good job. I, I really do. I think he's been aggressive. He's been downhill a couple times. A couple times when he hasn't had the, 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 the crease on the front side, he's cut back to the back side. Probably the only real bad run he's had all year, unfortunately, was the, was the, the 10-yarder he lost. You know, he, he tried to reverse field down near the goal line. And the truth of the matter is just at that point, just lower your shoulder and get what you can. That, that's the only criticism I have as far as that's concerned. I like how he's running hard, though. He's gotten into the secondary uh, a couple of times, and, and you see him, you know, just roll over his pads and lower himself, and you know, deliver the blow. It's one of the things that we talked about last year, when when we really saw him have a good second half, was when you get into that secondary, a big guy like you who can run with your quickness and ability, you want to force those guys to make a tackle, and that's what you've seen when you watch him get through that first line. He's, you know, he's. I don't say he's looking people up, but he knows that, you know, if he continues to accelerate that way. You know, there's some business decisions going to be made out there. Guys aren't going to want to, you know, get up in front of him. Yeah, I actually thought that Antonio Gibson in the loss to the Eagles ran pretty well. His final numbers weren't great. He had 12 carries for just 38 yards and a touchdown and had one reception for two yards on one target and playing on 44% of the commander's offensive snaps. But Gibson had two carries that totaled minus 13 yards. His other 10 carries totaled 51 yards. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how Antonio Gibson and the commander's rushing offense can be used to combat teams pressuring the commanders so much. Well, I think the, the 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 thing about the running game is is if we're going to be a play action team, we've got to be a more effective running team. You know, because again, that that slows things down when you can when you can do that. That discourages you know some of these guys pitting their ears back and just going. So we've got to be able to when when the run's called to block it up, and make sure we hit those holes, hit those creases. Because if you don't, you're not having success. You do become one dimensional, and we've seen it. We've seen it for two weeks in a row that we've become one dimensional because we haven't been successful.
All right, so did you notice that Ron Rivera said, quote, if we're going to be a play-action team, we've got to be a more effective running team, end quote. Uh, yes and no. This issue has been studied in NFL analytic circles. Uh, the findings have been clear. Play-action works regardless of how well you're running the football. The idea that you need to have an effective running game in order to have effective play-action is not true. Uh, that has been proven to be fake news. Uh, now, if you have a good running game, might that help your play-action game be even better? Uh, perhaps. I don't think that it's crazy to think that. But generally speaking, play-action passes are more effective than non-play-action passes. And play-action works regardless of how good your running game is. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon then got asked if he views play-action as critical for offensive success for the Commanders. That's something that we've we've always we've always thought we've always known. And again, you know, we have to understand to, to be a good uh, play action team, you've got to have you've got to have some positive runs early. Okay, so, so Ron Rivera, right there, quote: "We have to understand to be a good play action team, you've got to have some positive runs early." End quote. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, to be a good play action team, you just have to establish the threat of running the ball. Once you do that, play action will work. I read to you from Football Outsiders, quote, there's no correlation between a team's rushing frequency or success rate rushing and its play action effectiveness over the course of either a single game or an entire season. That doesn't mean there wouldn't be a correlation at an extreme run-pass ratio, but we have yet to see an NFL team that even comes close to what that extreme might be, end quote. There you go. Uh, now, so far in the 2022 regular season, Carson Wentz on play-action pass attempts has not been good. Uh, Carson on play-action pass attempts per ESPN has a yards per pass attempt of just 4.76 and a completion percentage of 55.1. Those numbers are really bad, but to me, those numbers say more about the commander's passing offense than the numbers say something about the commander's rushing offense. Bottom line, the commander's offense has got to be better this Sunday afternoon as compared to last Sunday afternoon or this game at the Cowboys will not go so well. We always hope that things are going well in your life, but if you have been victimized by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly one $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson 
And Nace, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now on the one and two commanders of them practicing on Wednesday in preparation for their game at the two and one Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at one. Seven of the 11 commanders players on the team's injury report for Wednesday were defensive players. The good news is that all of them practiced to at least some extent. Uh, Corner Benjamin St. Juice was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice due to a hamstring, but corner William Jackson III was a full participant in Wednesday's practice of having been inactive. For the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon due to a back ailment. Uh, Now, Jackson being inactive meant that we saw a whole lot of corner Rashad Wild Goose last Sunday afternoon. Yes, Rashad Wild Goose. Uh, He played on 69% of the commander's defensive snaps. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose entered the game having played on just one regular season defensive snap in his NFL career. Uh, The commanders on August 31st claimed Wild Goose off waivers from the New York Jets. He was taken by the Buffalo Bills in the sixth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Wisconsin. A wild goose in the loss to the Eagles committed two pass interference penalties. As you may recall, the commanders chose Rashad Wild Goose and also this guy Tariq Castro-Fields as corners for the 53-man roster over Danny Johnson and Corn Elder. Uh, Castro-Fields in the loss to the Eagles played on 9% of the commander's defensive snaps. The commanders on August 31st claimed Castro Fields off waivers from the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners took Castro Fields in the sixth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Penn State. The commanders on August 30th in their cut down to 53 released corners Danny Johnson and Corn Elder, but the team on August 31st signed Johnson, Elder, and uh, also corner Troy Apke, a.k.a. Trap. Uh, to the practice squad. So Ron Rivera went with young corners, Rashad Wild Goose and Tariq Castro-Fields for cornerback depth over veterans and Danny Johnson and Corn Elder. Ron on Wednesday afternoon during his post-practice press conference got asked about how he looks back on having Wild Goose and Castro-Fields on the active roster and Johnson and Elder on the practice squad. Because we're trying to develop players. I mean, that's, that's what it really comes down to. I mean, it, you know, Wild Goose has got a specific skill set. He's got some abilities, certain things that, that really fit that position. And now it's a matter of, you know, him getting opportunity to develop and grow there. All right. So said Ron Rivera right there, quote, we're trying to develop players, end quote. I find that quote interesting because that suggests that the commanders are rebuilding, right? We're trying to develop players, Well, Ron is the same guy who for months talked about the team's 2022 season needing to be a step forward season, implying it is win now as opposed to rebuild. So which one is it? Now, I'm not mad about Rashad Wild Goose and Tariq Castro Fields being on the 53-man roster over Danny Johnson and Corn Elder, okay? Like, I'm not all worked up about that. But the messaging here is notable. 
You know, we haven't heard Ron give a spiel on this season needing to be a step forward season for a while now, but he now multiple times recently has talked about the commanders playing younger players. And I've made a mental note of that, you know, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Uh, You know, Ron does have a history of changing his mind and changing his messaging. We've talked about that on the podcast. And so I would just say that this bears worth monitoring. Is Ron changing his messaging on what this 2022 season for the Commanders truly is about? Is this a step forward win now season or are the Commanders still rebuilding? And is Ron perhaps changing the messaging on the nature of this season because of how the season is going? Okay, just something to think about here. The Commanders have just one takeaway through three games in the 2022 regular season. Uh, Safety Derek Forrest game-sealing interception in the fourth quarter of the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field. That is the Commanders' only takeaway so far in the 2022 regular season. Every other team in the NFL has at least two takeaways. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how he can get the team to generate more takeaways. Well, we just got to keep working on it. I mean, there's one of those things that happens. It comes in bunches. When it comes in bunches, you just got to just continue to make them. Uh, Continue to put yourself in position. Continue to work at trying to strip the ball. You know, those are all things that you talk about, you work on. And again, it's, it's one of those things that when they happen, they happen. Yes, uh, that is true. When the takeaways happen, they happen. When they happen, they happen. You can't say that when they happen, they don't happen. Uh, That would be incorrect. When they happen, they happen. Uh, As you can tell, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon, not exactly in a chipper mood, but that's okay. I get it. He's angry. He's focused. I like him like that. I want the team to be like that, and I want the team to come out and destroy the Cowboys at Dallas this Sunday afternoon. Well, something that would help the commanders generate more takeaways uh, would be a pass rush, uh, the likes of which the commander's offense has faced in each of the last two games. Edge defender Montez Sweat through three games in this 2022 regular season has zero sacks. Uh, He and the loss of the Eagles at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon for Pro Football Focus had zero pressures, zero hurries, zero quarterback hits, zero batted balls, and zero sacks. So yeah, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon was asked if interior defensive linemen Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne have been facing more double teams so far in the 2022 regular season, and Ron quickly pivoted into talking about Montez Sweat. Take a listen. I think really the guy that's facing a little bit more has been Montez in terms of, you know, the way the protections are, are, are rigged, you know, and, and, and there is a, you know, there is a, you see a concerted effort to pay attention to where he is. You know, that's, that's why, you know, we, you know, as we look at the things that we want to try and do, you know, we're trying to put him in position where, you know, they've got to identify him, but then once they do and they do something different, the other guys have to step up. We've had some some guys that really played well, especially the interior guys. Those two interior guys have done a heck of a job. And for what Montez had to deal with, he's he's been pretty stout. Um, you know, and, and a guy that's kind of kind of like we say, just kind of soaking up the gravy. You know, has been Jamin in terms of the add-ons. You know, he's he's seeing opportunities to, to go in and make a play, and he's stepped up. And so that's that's been a big deal for us. Um, but we got to have more of it. We just got to continue to work at it. Yeah, you know, no aspect of the Commanders has been good enough so far this season. There are individual players who have played well, but in terms of overall unit production, every unit on the team needs to be better. 
including the defensive line, and especially Montez Sweat, who by his own admission had a disappointing 2021 season. Uh, By the way, this Sunday afternoon's game at the Cowboys is the last game that edge defender Chase Young has to miss with him being on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He has been on that since August 23rd uh, due to the torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. This Sunday afternoon's game at the Cowboys could be the commander's final game without Chase Young. Could also be the commander's final game without running back Brian Robinson Jr. as he is on the reserve non-football injury or illness list. Uh, As for other commander's defensive players on Wednesday's injury report, uh, edge defender James Smith-Williams was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. He, for the loss of the Eagles, was inactive due to an abdominal injury. Edge defender Casey Tuhill was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. He, for the loss of the Eagles, was inactive due to a concussion that he suffered in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. He, for the loss of the Eagles, was inactive due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in Week 2. Linebacker Milo Eifler, he was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice due to an ankle issue. And linebacker David Mayo, he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice, but he's dealing with an ankle ailment. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. In a season in which they have gotten pummeled by the Atlanta Braves, the Nats on Wednesday night got the last laugh. I'll explain after this. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. You perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly VPN services on the market, so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from snoops and criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the Nationals this season got ravaged by the reigning defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves, but the Nats can say that they won two or three games at the Braves in April, and the Nats can say that they walked off the Braves in the final game of the season between the two teams. Wednesday night, a 3-2, 10-inning walk-off win for the Nats over the Braves at Nationals Park to avoid a three-game sweep and to knock the Braves out of a first-place tie with the New York Mets in the National League East. The Mets now have a one-game lead on the Braves atop the division. And Nats manager Davey Martinez and the boys, uh, they now have two walk-off wins in the 2022 regular season. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, the boys, your boys, they improved to a major league worst 54 and 101. Uh, My favorite part about this win for the Nats on Wednesday night, leading the way, were two potential building blocks for the Nats in their rebuild. Shortstop C.J. Abrams and starting pitcher Josiah Gray. C.J. Abrams on Wednesday night had a walk-off single. Abrams in a Nats one-run tenth, a walk-off, two-out, RBI single, through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats win. Really nice piece of hitting by C.J. Abrams. He was an Nats starting shortstop and number two batter. He, for the game, went 3-for-5 with a walk-off RBI single and two other singles. Uh, Abrams, in an Nats one-run first, had an opposite field single on a slow roller through the left side of the infield. Abrams, in the Nats one-run third, a one-out opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. And Abrams, in that Nats one-run tenth, the walk-off two-out RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats win. Now, Abrams did have a bad moment in this game. Uh, Abrams in the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff first pitch ground out on which he didn't hustle to first base 
and was ultimately ruled out via a Braves challenge. The ball was hit to the pitcher in the game at the time for the Braves, reliever A.J. Minter. Minter's throw to first baseman Matt Olson was high and toward right field, pulling Olson off the bag. But Abrams wasn't hustling enough and ultimately was beaten to the bag by a diving Olsen. The play was a bad look for C.J. Abrams, but overall, there has been a lot to like with Abrams. Uh, first, defensively, he's been good defensively basically from the get-go of his time at the Major League level with the Nats, and lately, he has been a lot better offensively. C.J. Abrams, for the month of September now, has an OPS of 724. That is a lot better than what he had been doing for the Nats. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on C.J. Abrams' walk-off single, and then you'll hear multiple follow-up exchanges. You know, what I loved is that he's, he was very poised, right? He took his swings, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, got, makes, a, makes a good pitch. It was a good pitch, and he stayed down, stayed with it, and was able, like I said, to get good wood on it, put it in a hole, and um, you know, driving a big run for us. What do you think has been the most beneficial adjustment that he's made at the plate that's helped him to this point? He's getting ready early. Man, I think I think he's staying back, getting ready early, and he's actually really trying to stay on top of the baseball, and good things are happening for him. Did you sense that he was frustrated at all about the play before um, the first base? I, I can tell you right now, he's, he was frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he got a little bit of my my not-so-good side, so um, it won't happen again. But then for him to come back and stay Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like I said, um, we got a good one in him. We really do. So, I mean, he's getting better. Yeah. But you know, those little things like that can't happen. You know, I told him, I said, you get on base right there, big things happen because you can steal, you can do a lot of things for us. So, it's never going to happen again. And I tell you, good for Davey Martinez for giving C.J. Abrams a talking to for what happened in the bottom of the eighth inning. But overall, a lot to like with C.J. Abrams lately. And then with Josiah Gray, he on Wednesday night was good for the first time in five starts. And go figure, him being good for the first time in five starts came against the mighty Braves who lead the National League in home runs by miles in the 2022 regular season. Uh, Gray on Wednesday night, one run in six innings. Uh, He gave up just two hits, a home run and a single. He issued two walks. He only had two strikeouts. He threw 85 pitches, 55 strikes versus 30 balls. The only damage off Gray was a one-out solo homer by Matt Olson on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the second to tie the game at one. So for Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 28 starts, ERA of 502. Uh, He has allowed a major league worst 38 home runs. He has issued a national league worst 66 walks. There's a lot of work for Josiah Gray to do, but credit him for a good outing on Wednesday night against a very good team. And, you know, it was interesting, the composition of this very good outing. One run in six innings, only had two strikeouts. You know, Gray has been a high strikeout guy, was encouraging to see him on Wednesday night have a good outing against a good lineup without generating a number of strikeouts. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Josiah Gray, and you'll hear multiple follow-up exchanges. It was good. Fastball command was a lot better. Um, and he controlled the strike zone, which was awesome. I mean, that's what we're looking for. His ball had a lot of life at the end. Um, the slider was, was really good, when, you know, and he didn't have to do a whole lot with it. You know, when he threw it, like, over the plate, he's got some, he got some swings and misses. Um, but he was, he was really effective today because he was throwing the ball over the plate, you know, down, up, 
but it was over the, over the harder play, which was really nice. Most of his best starts since coming up here have included high strikeout totals. Is it important that he sees he can have success on a day when he only strikes out two and that he does pitch to contact and gets out there? Absolutely. You know, the whole focus today for him is, is to be around the strike zone, you know, uh, limit the limit the misses, you know, the the, the up and aways, the arm side misses, you know, and um, he did it, he did it really well today. There's only a couple. He, he also was he only threw 85 pitches over six innings. Like, what did you see? Kind of limit the, the pitch counts down to the long innings. Yeah, it, for me, it was just like uh, you know being around the plate. You know, not like I said, you know, the O twos, you know, uh, got outs. The one twos, you know, got outs. Um, um, and, and that's because he he was around the plate. He's going to get a lot of swings, you know, when he's around the plate. But when he gets O two, and the misses are are you know arm side misses, way outside, or you know bouncing stuff, you know, um, it doesn't. You know, it, there's good hitters up here. You don't get the chases like you, you want when you're when you go strike the ball, strike the ball. That's when you start seeing the chases. And he did that well today. Yes, he did. Josiah Gray's previous four starts had not gone well. 7-3 loss at the National League East leading New York Mets on September 2nd. Gray in that game started a game for the first time in 13 days, but he allowed six runs in five innings. Uh, 11-6 win at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals on September 8th. Gray in that game, four runs in three into third innings. Uh, 5-4 win over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Ray in that game started a game for the first time in eight days. He allowed four runs in five innings. 5-2 loss at the Miami Marlins this past Friday night. Gray in that game uh, did not give up a home run for the first time in 14 starts and only issued one walk. So those things were encouraging, but he allowed four runs in six innings. Josiah Gray on Wednesday night in this win over the Braves, a lot better. Uh, The Nats' bullpen on Wednesday night was good. Three Nats relievers combined to allow one run unearned in four innings. Hunter Harvey, a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the eighth allowed an unearned run to tie the game at two. More on that momentarily. Uh, Edwards in that inning gave up a double, a single, and a walk. But Kyle Finnegan then tossed two scoreless innings. He was really impressive on Wednesday night. Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the ninth and a perfect top of the tenth. And the perfect top of the tenth came against the Braves' numbers one through three batters. Ronald Acuna Jr., Dansby Swanson, and Michael Harris the second. And of course, all of this was happening with the automatic runner on base. Uh, really good stuff from Kyle Finnegan. It was unfortunate that the game went to extra innings to begin with. So I mentioned that unearned run of Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the eighth. Uh, Luis Garcia on Wednesday night. He was the Nats' starting second baseman at number five batter. He went 0 for 3 with a walk and committed an unfortunate error. And when I say unfortunate, I don't mean the error was unfortunate because of the error leading to something bad. I mean that the error was unfortunate because to me, it's a shame that Luis Garcia even got charged with an error. Uh, Garcia in that Braves one run eighth, a throwing error, although it wasn't so simple. Uh, With a runner on second, two outs, and the Nats nursing a 2-1 lead, Garcia on the border of the infield dirt and outfield grass made a really nice diving backhanded catch of a grounder off the bat of Michael Harris II on an 0-2 pitch from Carl Edwards Jr., But Garcia then, from his right knee while falling down towards center field, made a one-hop throw to first baseman Joey Manessis, who did not catch the throw. Uh, He tried to make an underhanded catch, a basket catch, but uh, Manessis failed in that attempt. And the ball got by Manessis, and Dansby Swanson scored from second base 
to tie the game at two. I mean, what you had on this play was Luis Garcia making a nice play and then making a valiant attempt to get the out. And Manessis really should have caught that ball, but Garcia ended up getting charged with the throwing error. I can't stand that. And that's why you really can't go by errors when trying to figure out which players are good defensively and which players are not so good defensively. Luis Garcia on that play did a good job, but he ends up getting charged with the error in what ends up being an inning in which the Braves tie the game at two. And uh, we ultimately had the extra innings. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday night overall had very good infield defense of having had very bad infield defense in the previous game. The 8-2 loss to the Braves on Tuesday night. And leading the way for the Nats' very good infield defense on Wednesday night was Ildemaro Vargas, who put on a defensive clinic at third base. Uh, Vargas on Wednesday night has an at starting third baseman and number seven batter 0 for 4, but he had an excellent defensive game. Vargas, to me, had the best defensive game that any singular Nats player has had this season. Vargas in the top of the second on an Austin Riley leadoff ground out, a nice backhanded stab near the third base line at the edge of the infield dirt, uh, then fired a no-hop throw to first base in time for the out, and Vargas fell down as he made the throw. Vargas in the top of the fifth, another nice defensive play. He on a Ronald Acuna Jr. ground out for the third out, made a diving backhanded catch of a well-hit ball, got up, then fired to first base on one hop, for the out and credit to first baseman Joey Manessis on this play because he made a nice backhanded catch of the throw. And then Vargas in the top of the seventh, another nice defensive play. He on a forced out for the third out, made a great diving catch of a grounder off the bat of Orlando Arcia and then fired the ball to second base via like a submarine throw for a force out. What a job by Ildemaro Vargas at third base on Wednesday night. No game for the Nats on Thursday. They have just two series left in the 2022 regular season. Next up, four games over three days against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. What we are scheduled to have is a game on Friday night, then a day-night doubleheader on Saturday, and then a game on Sunday afternoon. But there is a lot of rain that is expected in the Washington, D.C. area on Saturday and Sunday due to the remnants of Hurricane Ian. There's already talk of having a doubleheader on Friday, uh, so we'll see what the schedule ends up being. Well, the Orioles on Wednesday night off four consecutive crazy games had a calmer, more normal game, but the O's also had a loss, uh, a 3-1 loss at the Boston Red Sox in game three of a four-game series. O's now are 80 and 75 and now are four and a half games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, The O's have seven games left in the 2022 regular season. Time is running out for the O's. Uh, Their elimination number is down to four. Uh, The Orioles offense had been very good lately. It was not good on Wednesday night. Just one run, just seven hits, just two walks. The O's struck out 12 times when 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. A mere two at-bats with a runner in scoring position the entire game. Uh, The Red Sox starting pitcher was Rich Hill. Rich Hill is in his age 42 season. Rich Hill on Wednesday night dominated the O's. Six scoreless innings, nine strikeouts versus one walk. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on the Orioles getting shut down by Rich Hill. Pretty much what he does to us. Uh, changes speeds. We don't hit him many balls hard. Uh, 
few singles sprinkled around, but not, no rallies and uh, pretty disappointing. Yes, it was. Uh, the Orioles' lone run on Wednesday night came out a solo homer by Robinson Chirinos on the first pitch of the top of the eighth. Chirinos on Wednesday night was the Orioles' starting catcher and number nine batter. Neither Adley Rutschman nor Gunnar Henderson started for the O's on Wednesday night. Each guy did pinch hit. Uh, Henderson's offensive numbers have calmed down lately, but Henderson on Wednesday was named Baseball America's Minor League Player of the Year. Uh, that is quite the honor. Uh, the O's on August 31st selected the contract of Gunnar Henderson from AAA Norfolk. He, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Henderson this season totaled 503 plate appearances for AA Bowie and AAA Norfolk. He, over those 503 plate appearances, had an on-base percentage of 416 and a slugging percentage of 531. Not bad. Uh, the O's took Henderson in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Alabama this season is his age 21 season. Uh, the Orioles starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Dean Kramer. He was coming off a tremendous outing. 6 nothing win over the American League leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this past Friday night. Kramer in that game, a four-hit shutout. But Kramer on Wednesday night was not good. Uh, three runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, two homers, three doubles, and a single. He issued four walks. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. He, over his five innings, threw 95 pitches, just 53 strikes versus 42 balls. Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Dean Kramer. I thought, you know, Dean early didn't have his best command. I thought he got better as the game went on. Uh, kind of was the cutter there to, to Verdugo there to give up a homer, but, but he, did, he kept us in the game. Uh, I thought he battled through with his first couple innings with, without his best command, uh, just giving him minimal, minimal damage. Yeah, well, Dean Kramer overall still has had a very nice 2022 season. Kramer now in the 2022 regular season at the major league level, 21 games, including 20 starts, an ERA of 317. The O's on Wednesday night did get a terrific relief outing from Keegan Aiken, uh, three scoreless innings from him. The O's are in the midst of a brutal stretch, zero scheduled off days until the end of the team's regular season. The Orioles' last off day was September 15th. And so the O's have been making a number of roster moves for fresh bullpen arms. Among those moves was the team optioning Aiken to AAA Norfolk on Monday, but the O's on Wednesday recalled Aiken from Norfolk, and he on Wednesday night pitched well. Keegan Aiken, a failed starter for the O's, but he this season as a reliever has been quite good. Uh, his overall numbers at the major league level in the 2022 regular season, 43 games, including one start, 79 and two-thirds innings. ERA of 328, a whip of 107. Uh, by the way, among the Orioles roster moves on Wednesday was them placing infielder Ramon Arias on the 10-day injured list with a right knee sprain. Uh, he got hurt in Tuesday night's 13-9 loss at the Red Sox. So his 2022 regular season is done. Uh, perhaps there will be a 2022 postseason for Ramon Arias, although that isn't looking too likely with the uh, state of the American League wildcard standings right now. Uh, but Ramon Arias entering Wednesday had the following advanced stats in the 2022 regular season. An OPS plus of 103, 100 is league average, above 100 is good. So OPS plus of 103 
and a wins above replacement per baseball reference of 3.7. Very good season for Ramona Rios. Uh, he has played third base. He has played second base. He has played shortstop. He has excelled defensively, and he has hit pretty well, you know? And who knows? Maybe his season will continue if the O's make the postseason. But I wanted to highlight Ramona Rios because I don't think that he has received enough credit for the season that he has had a 3.7 wins above replacement for baseball reference entering Wednesday. Game four for the Orioles at the Red Sox Thursday afternoon at 135. Mike Bauman will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 411, will be a football Friday extravaganza. In-depth preview of the one and two commanders at the two and one Dallas Cowboys Sunday afternoon at one. We on Thursday expect to hear from commanders offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio via post-practice press conferences. I on Friday's show will welcome on a special guest to talk Cowboys, Fox Sports Cowboys insider David Hellman, and I'll give you my rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Cowboys. Also on Friday's show, college football, Goldilocks for week five of the college football season, previews and picks for Maryland, home to Michigan State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Virginia Tech at North Carolina, Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Virginia at Duke, Saturday night at 7.30, and Navy at Air Force, Saturday at noon. And I, on Friday's show, will talk Orioles. So the O's on Thursday afternoon at 1.35 will begin game four of a four-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow.